if you feel like you can help in some way protect an organization from a bad thing happening, where they maybe lose a revenue or somebody's job is impacted because a company either has to have lower staffing requirements because they've been impacted by cybersecurity outcomes, or if they just sleep better because they've got good stuff in place. If you can help people with that, I think that is it's an incredibly rewarding thing. This podcast is brought to you by Merksec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit Merksec.com to connect today. Welcome to Destination Cyber, the podcast where we sit down with cyber industry leaders and movers and shakers and find out what makes them tick. We explore their careers, the mistakes they made, trials and tribulations, lessons learnt, and the invaluable insights and knowledge they've picked up along the way. Now here's your host, Lachlan Korn. Garrett O'Hara is a field chief technologist at Mimecast. His experience extends across development in UI and UX, technology communication, training development, and mentoring. Garrett's current primary focus is to help organizations understand and manage their cyber resilience strategies. Today, we will explore more about Garrett's pathway on this episode of Destination Cyber. Hello, Garrett. Thank you for coming on and speaking with us today. Really good to be here, Lachlan. Thanks for having me. So clearly having the title of Field Chief Technologist sounds like a really interesting title. So could you please like unpack for us and tell us a bit about what your job involves in both a holistic sense and also like what you experience on a day to day? Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting role that I find myself in these days. And I think there's different flavors depending on the organization you work in. The the role of the field chief technology officer for Mimecast and in the APAC region is is the idea that we need a sort of voice of our customers of the market back into the Mimecast business. So like part of what I, I spend my time doing is having conversations with security leaders in various companies. Some of them are our customers, some of them aren't. Try and be involved in, you know, broadly the industry in a way that's not, you know, vendor specific, but just mm-hmm. what is going on? What are the concerns that people have when it comes to cybersecurity? So, you know, trying my best to be plugged into the concerns of anyone who's in the the industry of cyber in Australia. So, you know, that voice of APAC, this region back to our global business. And then the other side of it is as we kind of develop products, as we bring things to market, making that consumable for local audiences and giving the the sort of the company perspective on, you know, maybe a security approach that we've released or, you know, platform, et cetera, et cetera. So it goes both ways, if that makes sense. And for field CTOs, there's, there's quite a few of them now actually see in cybersecurity vendors. Um, they tend to be the folks that are, you know, rolled out at conferences to, to give the keynotes or to talk about broad themes in cyber. They tend to be much less around the, you know, the product demo-y type stuff, but much more around thought leadership where you know what what is the industry saying what can we do better so you know that that sort of elevated version of you know conference speaking i suppose okay so you're if i'm getting this right a bit more like an investigator so you get sort of responses from both like you say consumers i mean your customers and your vendors and then you absorb that information and and then talk with and liaise with your own team to figure out how you can better deliver your services yeah and then really at a strategic level i suppose is the the 
probably the important part there. So like directionally, are, is you know, is our company kind of doing the right things? And I'm one one voice of many, by the way. So mm. I'm certainly not the guy who makes that decision, but would like to think we get to influence you know the, the direction in terms of product and strategy that we're doing based on. Yeah, just based on the broader cybersecurity industry. And and by that, I mean, you know, we, we do what we do really well, but there's a lot of really good vendors out there doing other things. And one of the big concerns that many cybersecurity leaders have today is how do they get best sort of value for their dollars? And mm. I think part of that will be, hey, what are we doing? How can we work better with other vendors? How can we deliver services to our customers in a better way, if that makes sense? So I'm not doing kind of instant investigation per se, but really more looking for the themes and then feeding those back into our global organization. Okay, interesting. And in terms of then, do you have a team under you that you do that you sort of influence, or do you speak to other people higher up? And how how does that information get passed on into the into the organization? Um, so I've got a fairly interesting version of the FCTO role. So I actually have part of our pre-sales team that report to me. So they're kind of tech consultants. They work as part of the the customer facing teams. They're the people who do the demos, you know, run workshops with customers, very kind of um, in terms of, you know, product and solving customer problems. So they, I've got part of a team that reports to me. Um, and then I've got a global role that I spend a lot of time talking to peers globally. So actually like 6am this morning, I was talking to somebody from the UK, a few people from the US all in the same call. And as we work through, you know, our perspective on on sort of the company direction, et cetera. So two different areas, like I've got a, an APAC focused version of that. And then the, the sort of global voice into senior leadership at a global level as well. Okay. And what is what is this APAC role you're referring to? Yeah, the sort of pre-sales or technical consulting, depending on, on how you want to talk about it. So I, I, my pedigree or where I come from is pre-sales. So they're the folks that sit with selling teams generally. So you're customer facing and you support people who are looking at a platform. We're the ones who, you know, try and understand exactly what the customer is trying to do and then, you know, make sure that we can do it first of all. And then when we can show the customer how that works. So product demos, things like RFP responses. So requests for proposals, requests for information. That's the, you know, I'm part of that team also here locally. Okay. And so obviously this is a very people's role, very much building relations yes. with so was that always something that you found yourself pretty skilled at? I mean, did you have to learn a lot about the the technology cyber side when you were starting out? How did that process develop? Yeah. So look, I, I think like many people who are in cybersecurity, I came from technology, but not cyber. And I think it's, it's a really valuable thing for our industry, actually, that we get people from lots of different walks of life and they come from finance, from HR, from lots of different things, and they get good at a part of cybersecurity. So for me, yeah, I came in as a heavily technical person. So I was a developer for a very long time, actually about half my career. I was the guy literally sat writing code, being honest, not very good code in hindsight. <laughs> and maybe that, you know, that was the, the sort of natural trajectory was that I, I found myself showing people who were interested in what I'd done, how it worked and, you know, kind of trying to translate the technical into something that was consumable by people who weren't technical. Mm -hmm. And that is a hugely valuable skill set that some people, I think the people who end up in my role, I think they tend to end up there because they're good at it rather than they wake up as a, you know, a 15 year old and kind of go, you know what? I really want to be a technical consultant or a pre-sales <laughs> engineer. It doesn't really work that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we're, we're sort of a tribe of people who are built for knowing and try to understand the technical stuff, but then at the same time being personable enough that we could get into a room of people 
and you know influence their decision, understand their requirements, and and really be active listeners. So the people side of it, if I'm honest, like I'm I'm naturally quite an introverted person, like many of us are, but I really like people. So you know I love talking to people one on one. I'm not amazing when it gets to like groups of people. I'm fine if you put me in front of a thousand people in a conference, but um, I think weirdly a lot of introverts work that way. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but. We're confident, but we're we're not we're not the person that will walk into a room and light it up. But we tend to be the ones that will build really deep, strong relationships with people. And that's kind of been my experience of cyber. It, it is a wonderful industry from that perspective. The people are incredibly kind, incredibly generous with their time, and that's one thing. You know, I would say when I think about this as an industry, one of the unique sort of attributes of it is that we have a cause. If you think about it, you know, so many other industries, like if you're a developer in finance. That's not really a cause. You know, it's, it, it's probably important, but it's not the same thing as protecting organizations from bad things. Mm. And I think that weirdly ties us together in a way that I don't see, or I certainly haven't experienced in other industries where, yeah, look, I find myself back to, you know, the, the idea of, of sort of being people person, Lachlan. I find myself having coffees and meeting people who have nothing to do with, you know, they're not our customers, but they're in the industry and they're, they're really they're caring people. They care about what our industry is doing. And, you know, that side of things I would say is hundred percent true. It's definitely a, you know, that, that side of being a people person is important in this industry. And then, you know, as far as I suppose the people leadership uh, for me, that stuff I had to learn. I, I'm very much of the, I think they call it service leadership mindset. I, my only job is to try and grow people mm -hmm. to help them be as successful as they possibly can in whatever direction they want to go in. And that is success for me when it comes to people management. Um, it's, it's very much a supporting role for removing friction, trying to enable people to be the best that they possibly can. So, you know, person-wise, that's my perspective on, yeah, the people management side of things. Yeah, definitely. It's great that you pointed it out because especially that sort of, um, that cause, I definitely agree with you. I mean, well, one thing you're tasked with sort of defending the people, like your customers to a very important level compared to other jobs and industries that don't have that such a big responsibility so that's a it's a very interesting perspective to think about because some people generally underplay the role of cybersecurity in their lives because they're not say for example thinking about it on a day-to-day -day occasion even though we use our devices on a day-to-day -day occasion so it's it's definitely a bit of an eye-opening statement and a thing that you've brought up maybe sort of switching gears and sort of winding back the time what were you sort of studying in university and how did you go from someone who was more on a technology side of things and how did you then convert your way up into more of a cybersecurity role? Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. And I think like so many people, when you get to a certain age, you kind of look back and go, would I have done the same things? I definitely wouldn't, if I'm honest. Yeah. And I've no regrets. I've had an incredibly satisfying, really interesting, like I've loved everything that's happened so far. And I think, you know, like Bob Ross talks about happy accidents. There's been a lot of those along mm. the way. And my first sort of stint in, in university was actually chemistry. So I I did a bachelor of science and I ran into computers there. I did computer science for three of the four years from memory. I could even have that wrong. It could have been two out of the four years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of that, a lot of that time is, is a blur, you know, that, that sort of exposure to computer, computer science, it was something I was always interested in. I was one of those kids and probably giving my age away here, had a Commodore 64. I was one of the, the sort of nerds who sat down with the, with the Commodore 64 book and literally <laughs> programmed in basic, you know, the sprites of a balloon floating across the screen and, you know, spent hours doing that. Just love to see and make machines work. And then 
yeah, in university, got into some of the sort of lower level languages like a assembler and hated that. It was just a nightmare to make it do anything. And I, I, I'm not sure if it was that experience that kind of pushed me a little bit away from computers then, but I you know, went off and did an honors degree in chemistry and then finished realizing that actually I've got zero intention of ever you know, using this, so I need to do something else. And I actually went back and did a, a business and IT course. And that was only a one-year post-grad diploma, but actually, if I'm honest, probably influenced much more like in terms of direction where I went than the previous four years. It exposed me to sort of business thinking and then also what I would consider useful IT thinking. So, you know, maybe more the IT management versus the, how do you make a computer take a word and then reverse it and, you know, the stuff that you do when you're learning how to, to code. From there, you know, went into a QA role where there was very light coding involved and then you know, it took about a year to jump out and, and jump into a full developer role. And like I said, I did that for probably half of my career and then slowly found myself drifting much more towards the go front of room and explain how things work and, and what I consider technical communication. There's a bunch of us do it. And like I said, I think you, you find your, your way there if you're good at it or if you've got a talent for it. And then yeah, actually, I took a year out. I, I hit an age where like many people, I, I just honestly was super burned ahead. I was working crazy hours. I was doing a lot of international travel and felt like I was not sleeping enough and losing touch with friends because I was working so much and um, took a year out and traveled with my now wife. But when I was away, I got a call from the company I'm now with actually and um, sounded really interesting. You know, this company that was doing cybersecurity and I'm like, oh, okay, that's sort of an interesting space I hadn't really operated in. And I, I really liked the people here. So I didn't interview with anybody else, came back and basically started working immediately. Mimecast, who is the company I'm still with. And one of the things I would say is I'm sure like many people transitioning into cyber, huge amount for me to learn. And I was lucky in that my, my job at the start was just to know the product. And I'm luckily pretty good at you know, learning things pretty good, pretty quickly when it comes to tech, did that and then realized that for me to really add value to our customers, but also to add hopefully some value broadly in the cyber industry, I needed to be better. And I, I just went on a absolute information ingestion spree. So consumed every podcast I could think of, including um, KB's pod. Risky Biz, went off, did a CIS course, you know, just spent a lot of time learning the stuff of cybersecurity in a much more deep, meaningful way. I'd sort of, you know, my swim lane. And then luckily kind of got into the, the podcasting stuff as well and, and was able to spend a lot of time speaking to security leadership so that I was able to get better and understand our world more deeply. But it was that, you know, honestly, Lachlan, it was a transition from tech and really being good at that and then coming into a new industry and the tech stuff is sort of the same, but the problems of cyber are just so interesting and meaningful and impactful in a way that I just hadn't experienced in, in any other industry. It's just fascinating stuff to me. Absolutely. And when you refer to these sort of challenges that are faced in cybersecurity, does that mean that you experience different do your days generally consist of very different scenarios and job requirements for yourself on a day-to-day -day basis? Is it very diverse or is it generally a, you know, a, a similar stream, but there are, there are slight nuances? It's, it's pretty different. And it, I don't know, it, it seems to come in phases where I'm, I'm super busy with one thing and it might be prepping maybe for, like I was, I did Black Hat a couple of months ago and that sort of consumes your brain a little bit. You know, you're, you're doing business as usual work, but actually in the background, you're, getting your head straight for, you know, conversations or 
um, with this role, things like media interviews. So knowing that if I'm going to have a conversation, what are the 10 things that could be asked about? And what are the second questions and the follow-up questions? And, mm. you know, going in with a mindset of, again, just trying to add value. So that, you know, the, there'll be phases like that. There's the team management stuff. There is the customer stuff, which, you know, really quite enjoy, actually. We're very lucky to have just awesome customers. And one of the satisfying things I would say for anyone looking at a career in cyber, certainly on the vendor side, is the bit where you're talking to customers and you're actually helping them solve their problems. Like they're sleeping better at night or they have folks who are not churning out of their organization because they're not wasting time doing things because there's good cybersecurity outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. So in my mind, this like I've got three kind of silos of stuff in my role. And honestly, the balance, like if I think about it, like a you know, graphic equalizer and a stereo, you know, which one of those is up or down on any given day will change. But those three things are kind of consistent, you know, throughout the year. It just depends on which one needs more attention on any given day. Okay. And what would then you say is the most challenging aspect of your role? Well, look, I, I think being in Australia and anyone who's in a vendor and working in an international or global role will know this pain, but it's the, it's the bit where there's a meeting at 6 a.m. and then there's potentially a meeting at 10 p.m. on the same day, and you've also got your normal day in between. It's, you know, anybody who's in roles like this will, you know, kind of work to funny hours, not all the time, but it, that's probably a challenge that, yeah, I think is personal, but it's been, I've, I've had global roles for multiple companies and it's the same in all of them because we, we live in a weird time zone when you compare it to, for me, generally it's the UK and the US are the two other sort of areas that tend to speak to people most often. They, they have a really nice overlap in their working day that has no overlap with Australia. So mm. it tends to be that we're the ones that get up at weird hours and, you know, have those phone calls, which it's fine. It's part of the job. And yeah, that, that time zone management is probably one of the big things. The other thing, and, and this is just consistent across cyber is it is an incredibly fast moving industry and the, the issues that are happening are so, it's like drinking from the far hose every single day, trying to stay yeah. on top of what's happened. What does it mean? And not just what does it mean, but like, how does that relate to other things that maybe have happened in the past or how is it solvable? What's the perspective on that? I think all of us suffer from just an overwhelming amount of information that needs to be consumed every single day. And how do you sieve through that information? With, with lots of caffeine and with yeah. great difficulty. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I've sort of gravitated towards trying to, I go pretty broad in terms of where I consume information. And I have a, you know, on my bookmarks, I'm looking at it actually as we speak here, I've got a, it just, it's on Chrome and SEC. I've got a, a, not Security Exchange Commission in the US, but like security, but I'm looking at it. I've got probably maybe 20 or 30 sites that I will dip into pretty regularly. Some of them every day, some of them less so. And then I consume information from pods. So, you know, KB, uh, Risky Biz, we produce our own, which has gone over pretty well. I like podcasts personally because... I can go for a run or I can be on a commuting cycle to the city or on the ferry and I'm able to consume a huge amount of information while I'm also doing something else. So I think that works really, really well for me. And in some of the cases, what's beautiful is the people have already done the thinking for me. So, you know, I, I get to kind of get a lot of shortcuts versus reading and then, you know, doing the distillation of what does this mean? It's, it's really a nice shortcut to be able to get to that through podcasts. But I think that's what I found. I'm, you know, I think people will always gravitate towards the quality, quality websites, quality sections in sort of broad 
news, you know, mainstream media. And then I think they'll, you know, people will find the, the podcasts that are good for them in terms of the information presented. And then probably also, you know, do they gel with the, the presenters or the hosts? Because, you know, you know, you're growing a listener base and, you know, part of that is the content and the person, you know, providing the, the sort of hosting. It's, it's that. But I think pods for me are just, they're fantastic as a way to consume information. I'm really glad that makes me feel a lot better about doing these kind of podcasts. No, but it's, yeah, definitely. If I was to sort of give you a, obviously our audiences are generally in the younger adults category and they perhaps listen to this podcast and they think, oh, this is definitely something that sounds interesting and I want to sort of see how I can pursue that. What would be your recommendations on how they could give themselves a bit of a a head start or a bit of leverage when either entering through or if they want to do any studying is anything that would be um, really useful or important that they could do or is there just finding the right networking I mean what kind of what kind of recommendations would you provide uh, these younger audiences yeah like I think the all of all of the things you mentioned are important for the for the gig of like being an FCTO I mean it took me quite a while to get here Granted, I, you know, did other things along the way, but the, the starting point for field CTOs tends to be some version of pre-sales engineer or tech consultant. And that's for very good reasons, because you spend literally years of your life in rooms listening to customer problems and understanding what that means. And to get into that, and, and honestly, it is me, it is an incredibly rewarding role in any company, you know, whether it's, you know, just a normal technology company, but I would say particularly in cyber, it is just an incredible role because you get to do so many different types of things. You know, obviously you get to have all those customer conversations tends to be that you get a, some version of conference speaking and presentations and that public speaking stuff, you know, being involved in the kind of marketing side of things, which I think many people find really interesting and rewarding, but that, you know, the world is your oyster and it really is broad in terms of opportunities for travel, the ways into that. When we're interviewing people, I mean, like so many, so many people who will interview, I'm always looking for attitude more than anything else, because I think so much of this stuff you can train, certainly in the, you know, the technical skills and understanding cyber security issues. And, and to your point, you can go and do courses and learn that stuff from books, from learning management systems, from courses. Um, but the people side of it as a role is actually quite important too. So you're looking for somebody quite personable, has the right attitude. Is, is kind of hungry to learn and knows that that will never stop. That's one thing that's, I think, worth pointing out is that, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. I think many of people who are in these kind of roles are because there's never a bit where you can't get better at how you run a demo, how you do things like active listening, how do you understand cyber, et cetera, et cetera. And there's always a starting point. So there is a bit where it may be that you go and you do a support or service delivery role in an organization where you want to be a pre-sales engineer, but it gets you in there. It gets you understanding the product set. And then if you're the right fit, the transition into something like sales engineering tends to be a little bit more easy to do because you already know the products and people generally will have a sense of you know how you are with customers and how you'll be in a room. And when it comes to having the conversation around solving problems, et cetera. So yeah, for me, I, I, obviously dream world is that people have some version of a sort of formal education or learning behind them when it comes to this stuff or ex previous experience. But if you're starting out and you're brand new, it's the age old problem. Like how do you gain experience without getting that first job? A really interesting and good way in is potentially just doing a little bit of time and in, in a support role with your eye, you know, medium or medium term or even shorter term, depending on the organization with getting into, you know, pre-sales engineering. And then once you're in that tend to be on a track that you can go all the way in, in sort of pre-sales and, you know, 
do SCTO type stuff. Or what I've seen many people do is jump out into other areas of cyber, which could be even things like product management, you know, within the vendor worlds where they, they go from pre-sales or tech consulting into the, the project, sorry, the product management side of things as well, or actually even project management. So it opens up a lot of avenues. That's very great. It's very practical advice. I, I appreciate that. So I guess coming from here and putting it, coming back out a little bit into sort of the wider roles of, of Mimecast and GeoGem role, how does your role fit and what gives you purpose in, in this role? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have this conversation with the people, my manager and my, my sort of manager's manager sometimes around, you know, what, what's the thing that gives you meaning every day? Really, there's two things for me. If I can get to help the people who report to me be better and, you know, make them worth more money in the industry, not to sound like a horrible capitalist here, but you know, if, if their salaries can be better because of the time that we get to work together mm. um, and, you know, coaching and, and maybe nudging, nudging them in the direction of maybe doing a course or, you know, working on things that they could get better on. That's awesome. That is incredibly, incredibly meaningful to me personally. But then the other part of it is, and this sounds so cheesy, but I think it's true for many of us in the industry is the bit where if, if you feel like you can help in some way protect an organization from a bad thing happening, where they maybe lose a revenue or maybe, you know, somebody's job is impacted because a company either has to have lower staffing requirements because they've been impacted by cyber or they pay more in insurance premiums because they haven't got, had good cybersecurity outcomes, or if they just sleep better because they've got good stuff in place. Like if you can help people with that, I think that is, it's an incredibly rewarding thing. Like it, mm. there's meaning to that. Like I said, you know, I've worked in a bunch of different industry types writing code, building you know, things that helped with productivity, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all good. Like it has a business outcome, but it, it isn't as visceral as we stopped a company potentially closing its doors or we stopped, you know, massive financial loss for this company. It just, it, you know, it sort of has a very different texture to it that it's hard not to get caught up in the, you know, the, the sort of good fight that well, we're hopefully all in. Yeah. Mm, and why do you think that the clients and the and the vendors that you work with, whether that's ones that you're currently existing to work with or ones that you sort of have observed through media or any other information, why do you think they are less equipped or don't have the necessary resources currently in place that you sort of cover for them? Is, is it just a matter of the evolving industry of cyber or is it just a specific uniqueness to the product that you have, the services that you provide that provide them with that protection? No, like I, I think everybody's on a journey to get better, no matter you know, where they are in terms of a cybersecurity maturity. Yes, I'm sure there are some brand new organizations who are just starting out and are needing to kind of, you know, tool up to protect themselves. And that's fine. You know, that's kind of brand new and, and you know, they, they're starting from a, a place of zero, but there's very few, if any organizations that can't continue to get better, you know, as you look at cybersecurity maturity and whether it's NIST scoring or something else. Very few organizations will be sitting at a perfect view you know, the perfect mm. security does not exist. So I would say for every company that's out there looking at how do we do things better? Sometimes that is, you know, swapping out an incumbent for something that is maybe newer. And, and you see that, you know, regardless of what area of technology you're working in cyber, there will be what are considered air quotes, legacy approaches and legacy solutions. And then there'll be the kind of newer things that come out and, you know, it are <laughs> We hate saying the words next gen because, you know, people on the other side of the table tend to roll their eyes, but <laughs> everything is always advancing, evolving, things get better. The technologies we use to protect customers get better. The use of things like machine learning and AI 
gets better. So, you know, that evol evolution of, of platforms, of technology, that's constant. And what, it, what I would say is most organizations are permanently these days reevaluating their approaches to security and assuming it makes sense for them financially to swap something for something else. They will do that. So, you know, there's a, there's a constant state of flux, I would say, in terms of what are the appropriate security controls? Are we spending enough of them? Are they configured correctly? And, you know, once you, once you start answering those questions, you'll tend to see that that's where organizations go back out to the market and they will do a, you know, market evaluation for what's out there now and how does that compare to what they have in place? And if it's better and it makes financial sense, then they're going to swap. They'll go for, you know, maybe more modern technical controls for cyber. I see. And based on your sort of current experience with, you know, engaging with customers and the vendors, do you see that? there will be more sort of security challenges in the next decade? Or do you think that you'll see a decrease in security threats next decade because of the, the evolution of security technology? Or is it just a stalemate in a way? It, it, I think about this so much. And I'll be honest, I, I wish I could confidently make an answer in this one, but it, it is so hard to predict where all of this stuff will go. I think there's some, some really good things that are happening on a cyber protection side of things, like definitely the, the controls have gotten better. Um, in terms of, I think about what we do, how we protect against malicious emails is incredibly uh, advancing constantly. Like we're looking at new technologies, new approaches, new AI and ML models, like that, that stuff is progressing. Things like passwordless authentication gives me great hope, you know, FIDO and all of that stuff that are, you know, that's happening broadly in the industry. So there's all these things that are happening that I think that are to, you know, making the protections better. Um, and then I think, well, we always will have human beings in the mix and humans are probably always going to make mistakes. So, you know, we'll, we'll really struggle to get perfect there. And at the same time, the financial incentives for cyber attackers are just so, so lucrative that it's worth their while to constantly look at new ways to reach organizations to socially engineer the employees in those organizations. Mm. And that's the, the, as an industry, here's another unique kind of, I would say, artifact of this industry is that we are led by the attacks. It's not the other way around. Like you will rarely, if ever see any technical control that will just magically appear for an attack that hasn't already happened and been successful. So when I think about it, we're, we're led by the hand of the attackers constantly. And Every time I think, you know, is that it? You know, have we seen, have we seen the end of, you know, the evolution of attacks? Some genius somewhere will think of a thing that nobody's ever thought of. And, and look, you're seeing, you're probably aware of this, like more and more zero days appear each year. Mm. Um, when you look at sort of, you know, even Google's analysis, they, they, they hit their, and exceeded the number of zero days within a couple of months, I think it was this year versus the year before. And that's the trajectory we're on. Now, part of that, maybe that we're just seeing more investment in understanding what the zero days are, you know, there's much more of an incentive to understand that, or maybe there's just more of them. You know, it's, it's really hard to tell sometimes, but yeah, like I, I think as an industry, this is not going to go anywhere. And I think it's importance is just going to kind of increase. We're seeing that in private enterprise. We're seeing that with the focus of governments too, right? Well, a lot of the sort of commentary from our local governments was certainly after what's just happened recently with one of mm. the large telcos here, but even globally with consideration around critical national infrastructure and what does it mean if Australia's electricity grid is affected or healthcare system or education and, you know, the things that fit within critical national infrastructure, 
the cyber attacks have become much more part of the zeitgeist and the conversation and thinking when it comes to how do you protect a country? And as part of that, it's how do you protect the organizations within that country? So, I, you know, I think cyber is going to go anywhere and I do think it's going to just continue to be, yeah, more important as a, as a part of any organization. Yeah, it's great. I think I've just went on a roller coaster of emotions, like saying, yes, we have enough, you know, things going on. And then the other one's like, <laughs> yeah, but there's going to be more attacks and you just don't know yeah. where to go. Oh, it's amazing. I guess my last question for you would be is that if you were to give sort of three three recommendations or tips of qualities that one would need that would fit your profile well, how would you, what kind of characteristics and traits would you think would be most beneficial? Oh, so really handsome, charismatic. And, okay, uh, that no, was a yeah, given. Yeah. Don't worry about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. You're fine. No, uh, anyone who's seen me clearly knows that that's not true. But uh, <laughs> look, I, I would say they're... The a tenacity to learn has probably been one of the things that, you know, if I'm, if I'm successful, I think it's in large part because I'm somebody who is very honest with themselves around gaps and then works their, I don't know if we've got a bleeper, but works their asshole to mm. fill those gaps, whether it's knowledge, whether it's, you know, personal developments, opportunities, you know, me as a human being, I think that actually, you know, little bunny trail, I think that's something we overlook so often in industry in general is we think we can go and learn a cybersecurity course, but never go and learn how to do public speaking as one example. And there's, you know, there's people in our industry that are very good at teaching that stuff. Um, mm. So, you know, I do think there's an opportunity for, first of all, tenacity to learn. And then thinking when I say learning, that's broad. It's not just the head of, how does the cybersecurity control work? How does risk analysis work? Is it's, it's the development as a person. So you're broadly learning and, and the tenacity to stick with that. I hate using the word resilience because it gets so overused in our in industry in general. Like it's, mm. it's been co-opted from Brené Brown to, you know, it just pops up in nearly every meeting I have the, these <laughs> days, but, but it is important, right? It's that it, this it can be a long road and like any career they you know, they talk about the squiggly line these days where it tends not to be a straight line where you start here and you go straight to where you want to be. A lot of people talk about this. Phil Zongo is one of the kind of, I would say one of the kind of high profile security leaders in Australia. Talk about this, you know, he, he repurposed himself into cyber and has been incredibly successful, but took a temporary step, step back to do that. And that shows resilience to me. And I think that's an important thing. It's the bit where you could stick with it and stick with it and get better in a role before trying to move forward too soon. I think that's something I see a lot of these days is jumping forward and then being actually not successful in the next step because they haven't fully grown and they've moved forward maybe a little bit too early. So kind of the resilience in that perspective. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to use the word vulnerability, which is so overused also. <laughs> yeah. And it kills me to, kills me to do it. If my wife ever listens to, to this, she'll, she'll have a laugh because I, I kind of joke about her overusing it, but it's true. I think there's a, um, an ability to kind of show your soft underbelly to people and trust that they will have the best intentions for you and, and for, you know, maybe outcomes for a, a sort of joint stakeholder. But that's sort of something I've found really interesting is that with people that I've interviewed on the pod and that I've come across in just in the wild and cyber tends to be that the more honest and, and sort of frank and vulnerable you are with them, the quicker you get to a strong working relationship and less of the bravado and the BS that probably used to exist in many industries. I think that's gone away and large part, I think there's, I think confidence is seen differently these days. Confidence is the ability to 
show up and say, actually, I don't really know how that works. Can you help me? Versus mm. the, what is, feels kind of old fashioned. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that, that feels super old fashioned to me now. I don't know if that's just my perspective, but I feel like there's a, there's an appetite to, to say, well, I'm not going to fake it. I'm going to be honest with the fact that I don't know how to do it today, but I'm going to do it anyway. And please tell me, you know, be my eyes. Am I doing this right? And if I'm not, just tell me. Mm. And and people changing as they go along. And that, by the way, that hierarchy stuff, that's gone as well, in my opinion. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a team that while they're in my team, man, they are, they're so fantastically good when it comes to telling me, hey, this isn't working or here's the thing that, you know, maybe you need to pay attention to. That is so good, right? That shows trust and in, in, in a really good working relationship, but it, it, it needs that vulnerability and it needs to go both ways for that to work. And hopefully, hopefully that exists in our team. But yeah, I think that's, that's become super important as well. I think that's three things. Definitely. No, these have been very three, three very important things. I'm glad that you elaborated on those. Ah, absolutely amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and talking with us. Oh, lovely to speak with you, Lachlan. Absolute pleasure. And, and thanks for doing this. It's really important what you're doing. This has been another KBI Media Production.